Corner 3 Podcast, weekly tales of the NBA's hardwood from the suburbs of Cincinnati. Check us out at thecorner3.net. What's up, everybody? It's the Corner 3 Podcast, brought to you by thecorner3.net. Tim Danny here, as always, with Alex Derrickson. How are you, sir? Doing fine. Live from the spare bedroom. This dumpster fire is going. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, Sean Mackey. Sean, how are you, sir? Good. What's up, Tim? Oh, you know, living the dream. Let's go ahead and welcome our our excellent guest to this week's show. You know him from NBA Writing for Sports Illustrated, also the Open Lane Podcast. This is Ben Golliver. Ben, how are you? I'm good, guys. Good. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. So let's go ahead and get this started, guys. A lot of great questions to get to with Ben. All right. So, Ben, the first returns for the All-Star Game have come out, and we have the likes of Zaja Pachulia as a possible starting uh, forward for the West. We have Jimmy Butler riding, I think, fifth or sixth, and no signs of Gordon Hayward for the West, despite the season he's having. My question to you, NBA All-Star voting, bullshit or bullshit? All right, so the good news on the All-Star voting... is that we have an electoral college now. So we don't have to worry about the masses of, of idiots voting in the wrong people and just going off what Reddit tells them to do or what some foreign uh, president uh, of, a, of a country is campaigning on Twitter. <laughs> so we've got media and players who are going to be basically diluting the fan vote. So I think what we're going to wind up seeing is uh, most of the deserving players are going to get to start. I think my real question, though, is, is it going to skew towards, like, real popular scores? Like, are those the guys who are going to get a bump here? And one guy I'm thinking of is, like, Kyrie Irving, right? Like, obviously, the fans love Kyrie Irving. Most people would agree he doesn't play a lot of defense. But he's really, really, really incredible on the ball. And we would all wish to have Kyrie Irving's handle, Kyrie Irving's shooting ability. Is that going to put him in a situation maybe where he starts – uh, because his fellow players are uh, in love with his offensive game, uh, and you know he gets a little bit of love from the media, and he gets the fan vote. Does that give him a bump over maybe a guy like Kyle Lowry, who, frankly, you know, if you go to uh, you know your average playground and you ask guys who you want to play like, they're going to give you the uh, Kyrie Irving well before they're going to give you the Kyle Lowry. So I think there's still going to be some intrigue on who actually gets selected here, uh, but the absolute disasters like the Zaza that you mentioned. Uh, we've got enough protection. We've got a little firewall there. And I, I just, I mean, to, to echo back on the point, I kind of always made the the note that the NBA All-Star game does kind of feel like a popularity contest where we've had instances where, you know, Tracy McGrady, more in the twilight of his career, was still being a major vote-getter and things like that. So do you think that this is something the NBA is going to have to keep addressing? Or do you think what's in, what's in place now, like you said, it's going to kind of dilute the the idiot vote to an extent, but is this going to be a constant problem to try and figure out a way to get the right people into the all-star game? Well, it's definitely could still be a possibility because think about a guy like Dwayne Wade. I mean, I think that the four of us, uh, we probably can't agree on much when it comes to basketball, but I would guess that we can all agree. Dwayne Wade probably shouldn't be starting the all-star game this year. Sure. Um, and there's a good chance that he will because he's a popular guy among his colleagues. Uh, uh, he's going to be, you know, for media voters, maybe the, the ones who aren't quite as statistically inclined, maybe he gets it off name recognition. And then the fans are obviously going to vote him in, too. So we could still have this as a test year where we see how this plays out. But uh, I think it's important to remember the league does want a popularity contest because a popularity contest means engagement, right? Like the more votes that you get, the more people you have uh, participating in the process, 
the more likely subscribers you have to your cable packages, the more likely you have people bu- buying tickets and, and the more likely they are to follow people on uh, Twitter and so forth. So popularity contest, even though it can be really annoying, isn't necessarily a bad thing for the health of the league. And that's why I think they found a pretty good middle ground here with this, uh, with this protection with the fan vote and the media vote. Uh, and, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, I've always been of the opinion, though, that like, the awards that really matter, like the All-NBA Award, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, the end of the year ones, I'm glad those are not fan votes, you know, because then you could have some really goofy stuff where, like, it screws up with the history of the game. And I think so far, even the worst-case scenario of All-Stars, like guys like Kobe Bryant getting in last year when, you know, he's probably one of the most damaging players in the NBA, uh, even that's not that bad compared to, like, let's say, for example, there was some write-in campaign uh, and we get like Robert Covington as the MVP, right? Like that would be terrible <laughs> for the league, and we certainly don't want that. So, uh, one more All Star Game question here, just because it was a prediction that I had based off last year. Is this the year a team finally scores two hundred points? <laughs> yes. Well, I hope you read my column from that game. Everybody called me an old man after that column. I had a really long weekend where I was like. Uh, I think I graded every single dunk in the dunk contest, and I wrote a couple of three different stories. It was like, you know, 14 degrees. Actually, it was like negative 14 degrees in Philadelphia. And so then I was sitting through that all-star game, and, man, I felt like an 85-year-old guy who just wanted everyone <laughs> off of his lawn. Because it was pathetic last year. It was absolutely pathetic, the, last, the lack of uh, defensive effort. And I'm all for the show. You know, I don't mind Steph Curry pulling up from half court. Uh, I don't even mind Westbrook gunning shamelessly for another MVP, even though he's already won it twice. Uh, I like the fun aspect of the All-Star game, but just try to, you know, a little bit of defense, just a little bit of effort. And But it's tough. I mean, when you spread these guys out, and a lot of times uh, the All-Stars, you know, they don't necessarily have a bunch of traditional centers. Uh, so now you have all these amazing one-on-one playmakers with nobody in there to block their shots. I mean, you're going to get a lot of points. Ben, Sean here. Um Yesterday, you um, you put out an article about Derrick Rose and the Knicks. Um, Monday night, he is MIA for a game, doesn't doesn't show up at all. Uh, about twenty minutes into it, you know, there's these tweets that are coming up on the internet saying sources, no one really knows where he is, and it was really bizarre. And um, it turns out he he went home to Chicago because of some family problems or something. What are you hearing about what happened? It was just a really bizarre situation on Monday night. I think he just had a little freak out. Uh, you know, Derek's the kind of guy who wears his heart on his sleeve. I mean, he's pretty, you know, he's a pretty emotional guy. He's been through a lot with the injuries. And to be clear, oh, I'm, yeah. not ex- I'm not excusing what he did. I thought it was, as I wrote in my piece, it was inexcusable and it was unexcused. I mean, the guy just bailed on his team. He bailed on his coach. Yeah. He bailed on his organization. He's one of the top 25 highest paid players in the league. Uh, and he just no-shows for a game. I mean, that there's no way you can excuse that. I mean, one voice memo on his iPhone, right? Like one text message. Uh, and it's not this gigantic circus. Yeah, he couldn't even bring himself to do that. And uh, you know, you have this big mess for everybody else to clean up. So uh, to me, it, it was really, though, I thought, just kind of highlighted and distilled all these mistakes that Phil Jackson made uh, right. last summer. Uh, and I think that's sort of the bigger issue for the Knicks, and this could wind oh, up yeah. being a real positive for them because the last thing you want to do is commit to this guy long term, right? Sure. Oh, I, I, I completely agree. I, I'm, a, I'm a Bulls fan, and I was we so all are. Glad- 
Yeah, we're all Bulls fans, and I was I was so happy to see him go. You know, I I I loved him. You know, his first two years, two or three years in the league were phenomenal. But um, getting him out of Chicago, I thought was great. And the Knicks, I, I you know, we've talked about this on our podcast. They just kind of have a, a history of signing guys that are kind of past their prime um, later on in their career. And uh, I there's there's Rumors going out today that he's going to want thirty million next season. Is that? I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine someone paying him that much money. I mean, yeah. he's not he's not that guy anymore, right? No, I think he's pretty clearly not that guy. And <laughs> I mean, his expectations have been there for a big deal, as you guys remember, going back to training camp, uh, his final year in Chicago, right? Remember how he was talking about how he wanted to get paid, and he was kind of reading from the John Wall playbook, saying, "Hey, yeah. how come I'm making this much money? And these other guys are making this much money." And uh, you know, the last time I checked, uh, Jeff Hornacek was making a smart decision by benching Derrick Rose for a minimum salary guy who was undrafted and was playing for the Westchester Knicks in the D League in Ron <laughs> Baker, right? I mean, yeah. Get, get, by the way, guess who else wants a max contract next summer? Ron Baker. And so do I, and so do you guys. Everybody wants a max contract. It's just not really how it works. And I know you guys are Bulls fans, and you're loving this Derek Rose thing because it, it d- diverts everyone's attention from Rajon Rondo. And yes. I know that's uh, <laughs> an ulterior motive. I can see you guys working. Hey, man, the MCW trade, it's great. It's not great. <laughs> it was it was funny because if you go, I know you mentioned uh, Reddit earlier. Uh, I frequent the NBA subreddit a lot for some, just like kind of the quirkier news. I just loved that it was like 10 hours ago, Derrick Rose contemplates walking away from basketball. Six hours ago, Derrick Rose plans to seek a max contract. And it's like, make up your mind, dude. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and that's something that's really been there all year. I mean, he's kind of been vocal about that and it's kind of trickled out here and there. And I think the strange part is that New York and their, their front office has just been so silent. They've gotten a lot of criticism for that, but like, that's usually the kind of story where if the front office feels strongly that that's not going to happen, they can kind of let that be known to the beat writers to kind of angle the story. So there's not these false expectations or this really weird uh, storyline developing. But yeah, I mean, look, Let's go down the list of the dumbest GMs. Even the dumbest GMs are not going to give Derrick Rose $30 million. Rob Hennigan in Orlando. I mean, he's terrible at his job. He gave fired. <laughs> not, so not even GM of the decade and towards the end of the year, early onset GM dementia Joe Dumars, you don't think would give Derrick Rose a max deal in like uh, late 2000s Pistons? Okay, so that's possible. But I think we've actually come away. Like It's, it's interesting. One benefit of all the idiots like me writing on the internet, I do think is it it prevents some of the GMs from shooting themselves in the foot a little bit because there's so much discourse about player value and contracts and, and comparison numbers and uh, instead of just trying to convince your own fan base that your move is good you actually are now kind of trying to convince the entire basketball community as a whole uh, I, I don't even think Vlade would give Derrick Rose even one year at a max oh oh uh, who knows it's Vlade <laughs> it's you Vlade come on <laughs> Yeah. Well, look, we all know that how this works, right? Like, and that was the weird part about the Rondo is because somehow Garpax they got screwed up. Like, they, they didn't realize that Sacramento was supposed to be the last stop on the on the train line. Like, once Rondo goes from Boston to Dallas to Sacramento, like that's supposed to be it. Like, the next stop is supposed to be China, not Chicago. And, uh, now we know where Cousins is going. <laughs> so you know, we'll see. But um, no, I I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious here. 
But even the worst GMs, when I go down the list in terms of who's going to pay Derrick Rose, I think he'll be lucky to get what, you know, maybe slightly more than Rondo got from the Bulls. But that same kind of deal where it's, you know, kind of a shorter term deal. No one's going to want to pay him given his injury history, like, you know, a three, four year deal. And his salary contract number, I mean, he's one of the worst starting point guards in the NBA, period. You know, I mean, just it's facts wild to facts. think that. Wild to yeah. think that at this point. Never would have. Called that, you know, five, six years ago. But uh, is it a situation where he's a fish out of water? Or is he just in the wrong system, on the wrong team? Or is he just, like, backpedaled that much in terms of who and how, who he is and how he plays? I mean, this is going to sound harsh. I think he's a fish washed up on the beach, man. Uh, I think <laughs> I think uh, he, he can't play defense. I mean, the lateral quickness and, and just the overall intensity level in terms of being on the ball is just not there. That was never his strong suit. He had a lot of people covering up for him earlier in his career. You know, he had a lot of defensive talent around him, uh, which always helps when you're kind of an offense first guy. But uh, he's not good enough offensively to sort of ask his team of that. You look at his shot. I mean, it's as broken as it's ever been. How many times during his rehabs did we hear he was coming back with a three-point shot? Still waiting on that one. Uh, (laughs) And then, you know, the mid-range shot's not there. And then also his finishing going to the basket's not as good as it was, you know, and uh, that's something that definitely starts to show for players who get you know older in their career. Uh, but it's also you know if you get injured, it gets harder to finish in traffic. It gets hard to finish through uh, through bumps, uh, through through contact, and then you know also your your lift isn't quite as high in terms of trying to finish over shot blockers. So uh, you know all these things limit his effectiveness, and you know, he's always been more of a scorer than a playmaker for others, and I think that's the big fit question I have with him in New York, is like if he was out there making Porzingis look amazing, then you could maybe talk yourself into like giving him another go-round, uh, but he's kind of you know below replacement at this point. If you just got a pass-first guy and said, hey, force-feed Porzingis and see what he can give you, I think that's a better play going forward, don't you? Yeah, I agree. Well, um, you know, kind of following that for any other questions. I remember Sam Vicente from Yahoo tweeted, uh, I think opening night actually, he said, I guarantee the Chicago Bulls will get more from Jerry and Grant than the New York Knicks got from Derrick Rose. Are you shocked by that statement? Uh, well, that that's uh, maybe a bit of hyperbole. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I mean, it's close. But one thing I did write, which I got a lot of blowback on, was uh, I said Robin Lopez was the best player in the Derrick Rose trade. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty clear uh, when it happened, but a lot of Knicks fans clearly didn't, and a lot of people who are diehard. I mean, Rose has his stance for sure. Like he's definitely got some real diehards who uh, were completely captivated by his early career performance and just are going to roll with him for the rest of his career. And I really respect that. Uh, but I don't know even know if Robin Lopez has been that great, but I still think he's been better than Derrick Rose. And uh, you know, it's tough. I think the real takeaway from New York is. Phil Jackson has the same problem he had on day one when he got hired. He still doesn't have a starting caliber point guard. He doesn't have the point guard of the future. Uh, and he's still stuck with Melo. Like, you know, Melo doesn't really make a lot of sense there. And so he hasn't resolved uh, th- those two major issues. And he cycled through multiple coaches. They still don't play any defense as a team. Uh, he gave out arguably the worst contract of last summer to Joakim Noah. Uh, I mean, it's been kind of a mess. And He's making so much money, he's probably actually not on the hot seat because it would just be so, you know, it'd be so expensive sure. to fire him, but he's done a bad job. So, we talk about someone's done a bad job. Uh, 
Ben, let's talk about someone who's done a good job. And you on your show on uh, this week, you guys talked about the Warriors blowing the big lead against the Grizzlies. And you know, obviously, you know, people are going to talk about the Warriors of the Warriors and all about that, and that makes sense. I feel like on that same end, why isn't, you know, not many people are talking about the Grizzlies now how, how great of a second half they played in that game. And, you know, uh, David Fisdale has been excellent for that team. Um, they're playing at a high level. They're a good basketball team. Hell, Vince Carter's coming off the bench scoring eight points a game and playing, like, decent defense. If you saw that clip against Andrew Wiggins. What do you take away from Memphis so far and what they've done so far this season? And, you know, what is what would you say is their ceiling? Well, first of all, in the comeback against Golden State, like, I honestly thought that was, like, their Illmatic album. You know, yes. it was, like, <laughs> ten amazing songs in a row, no fillers, no stupid skits, just, like, every single player – did exactly what you would expect. I mean, uh, Conley, unbelievable shots. Gasol does his thing. Tony Allen's just up to all sorts of stuff. Zach's pounding the glass. There's like every single one of these guys who people have come to love over the years just put it together. And you could feel the Warriors kind of cracking, couldn't you? Like, yeah. this was like the, the Grizzlies were a team who knew what they wanted to do late in that game. And the Warriors, I mean, Kevin Durant and Steph are tussling over the ball. You got Draymond pouting in the corner. Steve Kerr is just kind of watching it all happen. They really felt the impact of that Grizzlies team, and I think clearly that's their big strength for this season. It's the continuity and the comfort factor, especially between uh, Mike and Mark. I mean, that stuff is worth its weight in gold, and there's no way to shortcut it. You know, I mean, those guys have so many reps together over the years that – you know, you got to like them. You know, in terms of their ceiling, I think it really comes down to Parsons. I was ta- I did a podcast with a guy earlier today in Memphis, and he made this point that, that Parsons might be like the X factor of the whole Western Conference at this point. I think it's a pretty fair point because they've done pretty well without Parsons. I think they have the worst offensive efficiency right now of any playoff team. And Parsons is the guy who can swing that, right? I mean, he's the sort of do-it-all wing that they paid the big money to. Uh, if he can stay healthy, like that offense should operate on a higher level. And you, you combine even an average offense with an elite defense, which they obviously have, and that's a team that can be pretty special. Uh, but, you know, how much do you want to bank on Parsons? I think that's that's the real question. Uh, to me, uh, if they get into a 4-5 or five matchup with a team like Utah, I think they're just going to find a way to do it. Like They're just going to find a way to grind it out, use their experience, use every trick in the book, have Tony Allen just ball hawk all their uh, perimeter wings who've never really been in the pressure situations before, uh, and they'll just find a way to steal that. Uh, if the Clippers are full strength and we get another Grizzlies-Clippers series, first of all, it's going to be great because that means there's going to be a lot of blood on the court. That's always fun. Yep. Uh, but you know that, that's more of a 50-50 kind of pick to me. Uh, but to me, their, their ceiling really comes down to uh, playoff matchups. I mean, certainly they can win a, pl- a one playoff series. You know, do they have another Western Conference f- uh, Finals run in them? Uh, right now, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, but they're definitely a team. You know, if you get them in the right four or five matchup, or uh, even if they're in the six, uh, depending on the opponent who's at three, you know, they're going to have a good shot. So I'm going to ask you this, and this is going to be I'm going to give you five names. All five big men, because big men are a big thing in the NBA now. You get to pick one from this point to the end of their career. I'm gonna give you. Are you ready for these five names? Bring it. All right, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid, Kristaps Porzingis, and Boogie. Who do you take and why? That is a, a great question. Well, I mean, in terms of track record and and where they're at already compared to their ceiling, I'll just take Boogie out of that equation right now. As amazing as he is this season. Uh, I think he's probably 95% to his ceiling. 
Uh, and if that's not even really a strong push into the Western Conference playoff picture, uh, that's not getting me too excited. Uh, so I'll take him out. Uh, in terms of the other four, uh, I'll take Embiid out. I've always been kind of an Embiid skeptic, and it's kind of post-traumatic stress disorder for me. I was up in Portland during the Greg Oden era, so anytime you get into these multiple injury guys, multiple seasons lost, uh, that gets me really nervous. I think he had an ankle actually earlier today against the Knicks, and everybody's holding their breath, and I'm sitting there about to fall out of my chair because uh, you know the stress level is just too much. So I'll take him out of the mix. Uh, that really brings it down to Davis, Towns, and Porzingis. With Davis, um, you know, he doesn't have that three-point shot. And the way this league is going, especially if you're a big, I'd love to have a knockdown three-point shot uh, as part of the arsenal. Uh, and so to me, uh, if you couple that with some of his injury issues uh, in terms of being able to stay healthy. And then you also couple that with uh, he's not a big impact defender. I mean, he, he has great defensive stats, but in terms of like when he's your main defensive player, like their numbers are not that impressive on that end with him, uh, at least historically over his career. That brings it down to Towns versus Porzingis. And I mean, you can really flip a coin and not go wrong. Uh, I think at this point, I would actually side with Porzingis. I don't know if that's a controversial take or not, uh, but the fact that his shot is so pure, uh, the fact that he's a little bit taller, uh, much longer in terms of rim protection, uh, and he's so comfortable, uh, and he's pretty decisive too, actually, when he has the ball in isolation situations. He's not you know, dribbling and pounding and uh, you know, wasting your, your time. So to me, I'd go Porzingis 1, Towns 2, Davis 3. Uh, I'd probably go Cousins 4 and Embiid 5. And uh, Ben, in the spirit of hypotheticals here, uh, we talked about fish out of water and the whole washed up fish in some instances like Derrick Rose and everything. If you could take a non-playoff team right now, like a team that's just kind of on the outside looking in or like a bubble team kind of kind of scenario, and they could pull off a deal to get any sort of like B-grade or lower NBA players, so not like your Durant, so Le- LeBron, Kyrie, Curry, stuff like that. If you could just kind of pick a player that you think's kind of floundering on one team and put them on a mid-grade team to bring them up to the next level, who do you take and where do you put them? Uh, I mean, there's a couple of uh, uh, names that have been kind of actually floating, I think, in trade rumors or at least scuttlebutt that I would just love to have happen. I mean, the obvious ones, New Orleans Noel to Portland. Uh, I mean, the, the hole there is just so massive in terms of interior defense. Uh, I think that would make a lot of sense. I'd like to take Goran Dragic and give him to the Kings. Uh, I mean, the Kings perimeter, I mean, and you could almost talk me into any league average two guard for the Kings as well because their perimeter players are just so terrible. And it would be nice to see Boogie actually have a chance at something. Uh, so I would start there on that hypothetical because uh, the race for the eighth seed is one of the, the more interesting races. It's not really going to pan out in terms of, like, congratulations, you got swept by the Warriors. That was a lot of fun. Like, Way to go. But, like, the bar is so low right now that you can have some really, like, not very good teams that are just kind of wacky get into that mix, whether it's Denver, New Orleans, uh, and so on. Uh, And so I think that's kind of where I would focus most of my creative energy in terms of, like, making those teams better. I mean, another one that was out there, like, very briefly was Paul Millsap uh, to either Denver or Sacramento. And I would prefer to have Paul Millsap go to the Raptors so that we could have a real race at the top of the Eastern Conference. But if not for that, then I would like that Western Conference scenario just because 
he's awesome. Like he's really good, and he would make a difference in a race where like you know thirty seven or thirty eight wins could get you the eighth seed. Like Paul Hillsap would basically guarantee you that. So. I don't know. Those are some of the scenarios that are kind of coming to head. I, I probably have to put a little bit more thought into it past that. And with the Cousins deal and everywhere, with Cousins talking about like how he's going to pursue the max deal and how he's expected to sign this extension with Sacramento and everything, is that surprising to you at all, given the kind of tumultuous relationship they've had kind of off and on? Yeah, I mean, these guys are just made for each other, right? Uh, <sighs> it's just a mess. I, I don't know exactly uh, what the best case scenario for them is. I think, you know, if you could rewind the tape, if this season had just been a complete mess, they trade him at the deadline and maximize his return, that might have been their best case long-term scenario. But that's not what happened. I mean, they were just barely good enough to be relevant, to get themselves excited, to want to keep Cousins, to talk themselves into it. Like, even the other night, he had an amazing game, but halfway through the game, he's screaming at uh, uh, Darren Collison on the bench, and it's like... You're never going to go anywhere if your best player has got that kind of an attitude. It's just not going to happen. Uh, but for Sacramento, they're paranoid of ever losing him because their track record for getting talent is so bad. They never get any free agents. They waste every single draft pick. They've already mortgaged some draft picks going on into the future. Uh, and, you know, they're just, they're overall, just, they don't have an identity because they change coaches every year. Uh, it's just very tough for them to kind of build around him. So I can understand the motivation for them to just say, well, uh, the alternative without him is worse, so we're too afraid. We're just going to give him whatever he wants. And for Boogie, I mean, yeah, I'd love to see anyone get a check for $200 million and say no to it. You know, that's, that's a pretty easy equation. <laughs> but I, actually, I was talking to Kevin Pelton with ESPN about this. I think DeMarcus Cousins has a very strong chance. I'm not going to guarantee it, but it's very possible that he retires with the highest career win shares and whatever other advanced stats you want to look at without ever winning a playoff series and perhaps without ever winning uh or even making the playoffs you know i mean it's like if he's going to be there for his next five years why are we going to expect them to make the playoffs just you know what they're not going to randomly do it like they're going to have to have a real plan and a cohesive uh strategy to to get there and i'm not sure that they've got that capability given their owner and given their front office so uh, you know, like I said, I think Cousins has probably, you know, got another three years uh, in terms of his current level of play uh, before the decline is going to set in. Uh, and for big guys, sometimes that can happen quickly. The, the nice part is he's a shooter, so that can that can help a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I can see why both sides would do it, but it's one of those things that you're just really glad it's not your team, you know? Sure. Yeah. Kind of building on that, Ben, uh, with you know trade rumors floating around we had paul Millsap out there and then he was taken off jimmy butler briefly we don't know what that was about um are there any other names besides nerland's noel that you're hearing uh could move this february no not a ton i mean it's still a little bit early for that uh, i don't believe the hawks at all when they're saying that they're not going to trade Millsap. i mean i think that's just kind of i, I feel posturing. the same way yeah i think that's just kind of posturing uh, I mean, I think that basically anybody on the Nuggets is available. I think a bunch of the Mavericks veterans are going to be available. Uh, I think that there could be a sell-off in Phoenix. You know, they've got some guys, Tyson Chandler, uh, P.J. Tucker. Those are guys who could potentially move. Uh, you know, one interesting trade piece could be Rubio in Minnesota. You know, that was kind of a popular thing last summer when they drafted Dunn. He hasn't been great, but 
you know, I'm not sure that – to me, Rubio makes more sense as like a spot guy, sort of a, a Marcus Smart type. Uh, I don't think you want him as your main point guard, and he doesn't have a huge contract. I could see somebody uh, trying to fortify their bench with him. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Denver's got a whole laundry list of guys that could go. Gallinari, Fareed. I don't think anybody really wants Fareed at this point. No. Uh, <laughs> you got to you got to put uh, all of Philly's guys. You know, uh, Okafor, Noel. Both those guys got to be in that mix. Uh, you know, I know one interesting name actually be Hassan Whiteside. I don't know if Miami will trade him, but like if you were really trying to tear it down, you could trade both Dragic and Whiteside. Uh, and try to just you know really go for the bottom and and try to maximize your your pick. Uh, yeah, you know. I mean his his trade value is probably at its all time high right now. Correct? Uh, yeah, probably. And I'm not even sure it's even that high to be honest. I mean, I think yeah. a, a lot of people kind of view him as uh, you know not unstable, but sort of yeah. just what are you going to get and and popcorn numbers in terms of just kind of empty calories with some of his rebounding numbers and so forth. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Those are those are definitely some names that I could see going. But I think there's also a lot of potential buyers here too, right? I mean, yeah. uh, if I'm Milwaukee, Washington, Boston, Toronto, I mean, you can make strong arguments that any of those teams should go out and make a move here or there to kind of uh, bolster their playoff position. So uh, I'm actually really hoping for an active trade deadline. All right, so speaking of Ben, and uh, like we said, this is Ben Gulliver of Sports Illustrated. Check out the Open Floor SI's NBA podcast, a really good show that he does with Andrew Sharp. So, Ben, last question before we get you out of here. You're so gracious to give us a half hour of your time. We mentioned all these trades. You mentioned Boston. Who will be picking that Brooklyn Nets top three lottery pick, in your opinion, in the 2017 NBA draft? Man, I think uh, I think it's going to be – you mean which team? Yeah, which like- team? I think it's going to be them, man. I'm really annoyed with both Boston and Toronto because these guys, they just talk and talk and talk. It's time to to do something with it. I would love to see them cash in uh, some of their assets, but I think that pick is so good uh, that if you're Boston, you don't trade it unless there's a superstar coming back, and I'm not sure I really see that superstar right now. Like, I actually think they could put together a package for Millisat that doesn't even really include that pick. Uh, so for me... Uh, you know, I think Boston's going to wind up making that that selection, but then you have this really weird situation where, you know, you almost are going to have two teams in Boston, right? You're going to have the veterans in terms of, you know, guys like Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Horford. I mean, these guys are are trying to win now, and you're going to have these youngsters. Uh, whether it's Smart, he's been around a few years, but you've also got you know Jalen, and then whoever this this draft pick is really going to want to play. I mean, a lot of these guys who are coming out, if they're one and done, I mean, they're expecting to be franchise guys. They're not expecting to kind of, you know, play 10 minutes on the fringes of the rotation. So uh, that could get pretty sticky. But I think if I had to bet on it, I'd say Danny just keeps that pick. That's kind of like the jewel in his crown, right? Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, too, every time they make one of those picks, it's just one more reminder of how good that trade was. And if you're a GM, you know, everybody talks – every time you, you go to the draft and everybody's like – you know, kind of slobbering and thirsting over your ability to make that amazing trade with Brooklyn. I mean, that's that's a pretty good feeling. That's a little bit uh, of a threshold to overcome in terms of trading it. You know what I mean? So you're looking forward to the battle of who should play between Isaiah Thomas and Markel Fultz? Well, that's what that's a legitimate concern, though, right? I mean, yeah. don't you think? Like, let's say you, you hit a home run and, and you get one of those types of players. Everything plays out just like you would expect it. That guy is going to come in, and it's sort of like the Tyreek Evans situation. Remember that? Yeah. Like, those guys come in one and done. Like They say, hey, give me the team. I want to go out there and gun and, and put up numbers and be the rookie of the year, regardless of how good you are. 
Uh, and, and that's going to be a legitimate balancing act for them. I mean, the good thing with Jalen was he wasn't quite ready to go. Um, but, like, look how disastrous D'Angelo Russell's rookie year was because they made him wait one year, right? I mean, this right. guy was just, like, doing FBI phone taps and, like, practically working for the KGB, like, you know, put Nick Young's business out <laughs> in the open because <laughs> he was so bored because he wasn't getting any playing time, right? I mean, that's like that's not necessarily going to be an isolated incident. If you take these talented guys who are used to lots of shots and having the ball in their hands, and you ask them to be role guys, uh, you know, and play mop up behind Isaiah or uh, you know try to fit in around you know the four other guards they've got, I mean, that's going to be tricky. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So Ben, thank you again, man. We had a lot of fun. Um, before we go, we'll get you out of here. Go ahead and get the floor where people can get in contact with Ben Gulliver and how they can follow all your work. Yeah, uh, you know, si.com slash NBA. Check us out on the Open Floor Podcast. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ben Gulliver, B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. And uh, thanks again for having me, guys. No problem. We're out here on another edition of the Corner 3 Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Corner 3 Podcast, weekly tales of the NBA's hardwood from the suburbs of Cincinnati. Be sure to add us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out our brand new website at thecorner3.net.